We are blessed this morning to have with us Kevin Higgins. Uh, Kevin is dressed incognito. He's actually a bishop. Uh, he's a bishop of churches in Pakistan. And uh, Kevin has, uh, he and I went to seminary together back in the early 80s, so we've known each other over 30 years, which is hard to believe. And uh, our children are similar in age. Where's Susan? Susan is over here, his wife, and you have an opportunity to greet Susan uh, following the service down in the parish hall. But we've known Kevin and Susan since seminary days, and it's such a blessing to watch what the Lord has done with them through the years because Kevin uh, has been involved in mission work and in particular lived in Pakistan as well as other countries and has started house churches and uh, is now the executive director of Global Teams, which Kathy works with as well. And uh, you'll hear a little bit about the number of missionaries and countries. You can uh, read about that too. Global Teams has a website and Kathy has plenty of information. But Kevin is such a blessing. He's such a witness. And he's a wonderful, wonderful friend. And it's just been a privilege to watch the Lord use him over the years and what the Lord's done with him. So I'd like to pray for Kevin as he prepares to share with us. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for the gift of this day and the privilege of having Kevin with us. And Lord, pray that you would anoint him to bring us your word this day. Fill him with your Holy Spirit that he might be your mouthpiece, your words to our ears and our hearts. Continue to bless Kevin, his, his marriage with Susan, their children, their daughters, Lord. Uh, and keep them always close to you and continue to bless and use Kevin in this incredible ministry with Global Teams. And now, Lord, fill him and bless him and use him to bless us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The sun was starting to go down, although the heat was still oppressive. As some of my Pakistani friends who grew up Muslim but love and follow Jesus, just like you and I, sat in this little compound in a little village in a rural part of Pakistan in the southwest province of the region of Sindh, just nestled up against the foothills that led up into the tall moon-like mountains that separated the province of Sindh from the province of Baluchistan and then on into Afghanistan. It had been a long day. We had traveled several hours by bus, several more hours in a car that we uh, finagled a deal with along with the owner of the car to drive us to the furthest point he felt comfortable taking us and then we had navigated the rest of the way in tiny little three-wheeled motorcycle contraptions that we call rickshaws. We had made our way out there that long dusty dry hot day because we had heard a rumor that one of the leading men in this village had become disillusioned with his Muslim faith and was looking for something new. And so there we were sitting in the, the, the mud compound of his home underneath the shade of a neem tree drinking tea only to find out that while, yes, it was true, he had become disillusioned with his Muslim faith, the new path he was searching for actually had nothing to do with religion. He was really hoping communism would provide the answer. Thinking that perhaps our visit had been in vain, we heard the prayer call at the local mosque in the village just some 200 yards away go off. And as is our custom, we decided, my Pakistani friends who love Jesus and I, 
that we would go visit the mosque for the evening prayers. My custom when I do that is to simply look and observe who's there in the, in the prayer time and to pray over them, asking the Lord to reveal himself, asking him to show and open their hearts so that they might see who he is. So there we were. Afterwards, you know, it's pretty obvious to tell there were visitors. It's a tiny little village, population of maybe six or 700. It's mostly various overlapping extended families. They all know who's who in the village, and they all know who's doing what. And it was pretty obvious that we weren't from around there. So afterwards, the imam of the mosque, an imam is sort of like a Muslim Greg, Clearly, I, I don't need to say anything more than that. But his beard is longer, okay? Invited us to sit and have a, a cold drink and get acquainted. So as we were sitting there drinking our Pepsis and talking and getting acquainted, I heard his story, and my heart went out to him because he, he wasn't from around there either. He had moved there with his family eight years earlier, sort of like someone graduating from seminary and, and being given a, a little rural congregation to cut their teeth on. He had been sent out there to see what he could do. And there he was, and he was discouraged after eight years of pouring out his heart, and I don't know if Muslims have the equivalent of getting a bag of tricks in seminary that they then try out on unsuspecting congregations. But he had tried everything he knew, and nobody was really interested. I mean, they were Muslim, but nobody was really taking it very seriously. The only people who showed up at the mosque were the old men of the village. Nobody sent their children to his madrasa. He was really discouraged. My heart went out to him, so I simply said, would it be all right if I, just, if I prayed for you? which is not a normal thing to do in a place like Pakistan. Yes, you could pray for me. No Muslim will ever refuse being prayed for. So I prayed. I don't remember everything I said. I, I just sort of said a normal prayer that God would encourage him, that bless him. In my heart, I was asking that the Lord Jesus would reveal himself to him and that, that he could know him in some deep and profound way. And I said, Amen. And then he said to me, say. Well, I mean, he didn't say say because we weren't speaking English, but he said sort of the cultural equivalent of say. Would you like to preach tomorrow morning in the mosque? I don't know if you've ever answered something before thinking. <laughs> ah, clear, clearly you have. Yeah, or... Or maybe you know someone. Some of you just laughed. Some of you looked next to you. <clears throat> Some of you are doing it again. Yeah. So I said, yes. Now, my friends and I had come over on some borrowed motorcycles from the, the house of the man who we'd gone to visit. So I got on the back of the motorcycle, and I leaned over the shoulder of my friend, who was a believer in Jesus, who had actually at one time trained with the Taliban and had come out of that as he came to faith in Jesus. So I leaned over his shoulder and I said, okay, <clears throat> now what do I do? And he said, oh, it's no problem. You know, you just recite something in Arabic and then, you know, just tell them what it means. Okay, here's the problem. You know, I can speak this language, but Arabic, you know, no. Ah. So we got there and we back to the house and we sort of cooked up a scheme. 
the Quran has a lot of references to stories from the Old Testament in particular. And one of the stories that the Quran seems particularly interested in, in and makes reference to several times is the Old Testament story found in the book of Genesis of Joseph and his brothers. Now you probably remember something of this story. Joseph got sold by his brothers into Egypt to quiet this upstart. He was the youngest and he got sold. And then later, as it turns out, when he's in a position of power in Egypt, there's a famine where the brothers are living. They need food and they come to Egypt and of course, as you recall, who do they find themselves needing to ask for food from? Their little brother, Joe. And Joseph's response to their fear is, it's okay. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He's using this to put me in a place to bless you. And so we decided we would tell that story. I had no way of knowing that in that village there were families who had for years put the best face they could, sort of whitewashed and stuccoed over deep family fractures that were hidden and buried but very real and raw and painful and unreconciled. So the next morning, bright and early and more than a little nervous, I made myself my way back. And I'm going to leave the story there as I'm going back to the mosque to preach that morning. We'll pick it up a little bit later and I'll let you know what happened. I want to bring us back to the present and to the scripture that we read from Acts this morning. The whole book of Acts tells the story of God in mission. And I run a mission organization, and my wife and I have served as missionaries in South Asia in two different countries and in East Africa. And your congregation has a vision of being a mission congregation, and you're involved with a lot of different things, including with us in Global Teams. And by the way, thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you as individuals and as a congregation and through the mouse have supported and encouraged not only Kathy and her work with missionary care, but several of our missionaries and initiatives. Thank you for that. It's, it's very appreciated. And I know that you are involved with other organizations and missionaries as well. And I thank you for that on their behalf. But all of that sort of raises the question, well, what is this mission thing anyway? What is mission? And honestly, if I could put it as simply as possible, it's really something birthed in the very heart of God that has pushed even God himself to, to cross boundaries. Boundaries created by our sin. The, the boundary that Jesus crossed in the incarnation when God came to dwell among us flesh to flesh, face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And then in the book of Acts, we see this story of boundaries getting crossed, all kinds of boundaries getting crossed. Jesus, in the very beginning of the book of Acts, looks at his disciples who are basically saying, so, is, uh, is this the day everything's going to like really come to a head and we're going to see the whole climax of history? And Jesus says, well, actually, 
those are some stuff, those are some aspects of things that you probably don't really get to know about. That's a little above your pay grade. But what will happen is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, my, my mission agents in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And buried in that, that schematic are three types of boundaries that God is going to empower his people to push beyond and cross. Two of them I'll cover fairly quickly. The first is the most obvious. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth are describing geographic boundaries. And the the book of Acts tells the story of believers in Jerusalem at the time when they hear Jesus say that and the gospel spreading. But it's interesting what it took to see the gospel spread across those geographic boundaries. Buried within the geographic boundaries are cultural boundaries that might be a little less obvious to those of us simply reading the text, but would have been very obvious to Peter and James and John and the others as they heard it. They knew that if they were empowered to be witnesses in those places, there were going to be some cultural challenges along the way. So it's not surprising to me that at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, after Jesus has laid this out, guess where they, the believers are? They're in Jerusalem. And at the end of chapter 2 of the book of Acts, guess where the believers are? They're in Jerusalem. And at the end of chapter 3 of the book of Acts, guess where the believers are? They're in Jerusalem. And at the end of chapter 4, are you sensing a theme here? At the end of chapter 4, guess where the believers are? Jerusalem. Chapter 5, Jerusalem. Chapter 6, Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 7, Jerusalem. And then something happens. God allows something that we pray never happens to happen. Persecution broke out. Direct, in-your-face resistance to the message of the gospel broke out in Jerusalem and in Judea such that many of the believers began to make their way beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. And in chapter 8, we find that some of them went to Samaria, preached the gospel, and the Holy Spirit came. And then we get to chapters 10 and 11, in which Peter, in chapter 11, what we read today, recounts a story that happened to him when a Gentile man in another city, sent messengers to him saying, come and share with us the message because I've seen an angel in a dream saying that some people will come and share with us the message of eternal life. These are geographic and cultural barriers that have been crossed. And finally, in chapters 10 and 11, we see it finally get to what the Bible will call the ends of the earth, which is not necessarily a geographic description as much as it is a people description. The people you would least imagine that God could reach and touch and draw to himself. And perhaps, not only least imagine, but if honest, my guess is there were Jewish disciples of Jesus who would have said, not only are the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the people we would least imagine 
coming to this message, we're not really sure we want them to. And so in chapter 11, we hear the story of not only geographic and cultural boundaries getting crossed, but attitude boundaries, expectation boundaries. And the expectations that that we see unfolding here and the attitudes we see unfolding here are not just about people, and it's not just Peter's own attitudes and expectations of himself and of other people that are going to get stretched, but indeed the box that he and some of the other early disciples had kept God in gets shattered. So let me just read through a couple of the phrases of that passage that we had read for us this morning. It started off saying the apostles and the believers who were in Judea, they're still there, heard that the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, had also accepted the word of God. And what really bothered them was not just that the Gentiles had accepted the word of God, but that somehow it had happened without first getting circumcised, which meant without first becoming Jewish people, which meant without first becoming like us. God just did this. Broke their their box of God, and it stretched the rubber band of their own expectations. So that when Peter went up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the other circumcised believers, in other words, the Jewish believers, criticized him. Why did you do this? And you even ate with them. So Peter has to explain. And he tells the story of a dream in which he, he saw animals being lowered in front of him and he was told to rise and eat. And it just so happened that none of those animals were on the um, acceptable list. They were all the things that he'd been told all his life he was not supposed to eat. And the Lord tells him three times, no, get up and eat. And the response finally of the Lord is, what God has made clean you should not call profane. And that's when he wakes up. The people have come from this Gentile man saying, come and talk to us. And Peter's realization is, the Spirit, this is in verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Peter's expectation, his own soul, in fact, is getting stretched like a rubber band here. But so is the box that he has kept God in. He's realizing this this God I follow in the person of Jesus Christ is not exactly as small as I thought. And so he goes. And then it says in verse 15 that as he begins to speak, in other words, before these Gentile men and women It's a whole family. Before they were circumcised and became Jewish, before they had been baptized, before he even finishes his sermon and the message, the Holy Spirit simply descends directly. God did it. Broke the box, stretched the rubber band, and Peter realizes... In verse 17, if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God with my box, with my rubber band? So when the others heard this, they were silenced, praised God, saying, well, 
then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Do you see even in that last phrase, even as they recognize something God has done, even as the the splintered wood from their God box lays in the dust around their feet, even as the rubber band is twinging in their hands as it stretches, they're realizing even the Gentiles? Inconceivable to them. Mission, if we really follow Him into His mission for us, mission will stretch the rubber band of our own souls, our own comfort levels, the things that he will push us into that will cause our palms to sweat and our minds to wonder, is this really what God wanted me to do? And it will shatter the little boxes that we try to keep the Lord in. Mission crosses boundaries and it pushes us to do the same, even the boundaries within our own soul. So let me go back to the mosque. I had finished my message about Joseph, and I looked around at the... The mosque was packed, by the way, because unbeknownst to us that the evening that I went back and was frantically trying to figure out what you say in a mosque and how to do this, word was going door to door in the village, and the whole village, in that part of Pakistan, only males go to the mosque, so... The men and the boys and all the men of the village were there. But they weren't leaving the women out because also, unbeknownst to me, they had um, hooked the microphone up to the loudspeaker and I was being broadcast into the village. And I saw the faces of some of the men. And it was, it was after the message, after the the mosque time ended and we were sitting around drinking tea that I began to be told some of the stories of the broken relationships and how God was challenging people to reconcile, to cross that boundary and barrier. I also was given a brief evaluation of my sermon by the local imam, the Muslim Greg, who who turned to my friend and said, you know, with a little training, he wouldn't be bad. <clears throat> I haven't written my homiletics professor in seminary to tell him that, but... Now, I had no way of knowing not only the impact that that message would have that day, but I had no way of knowing that several years later in following up with that village, some of my friends from Pakistan would bring some copies of the scripture. I had no way of knowing that that imam would then store those copies of the scripture inside the mosque on top of his Quran. I had no way of knowing that a few years after that, when a major flood would sweep through that area, and as some of our friends began to do relief work and to help make sure that they had clean water and supplies, they came to that mosque and heard the story in that village of how the water had swept into the mosque building and destroyed almost all of the written material that were stored there except for the Bibles that had been kept and the impact that that had made on that, that community. God was 
showing that he's not in a box. He's not in a box of my own creation or your own creation. And he's certainly not confined by the limits to which my own soul is willing to stretch like a rubber band. Now, you might have a couple of different reactions to this. On the one hand, on the one hand, you might say, well, you know, that was uh, that Book of Acts stuff, that was 2,000 years ago, and uh, not, my life's nothing like that. Or you might think, well, you know, Pakistan, that's the uh, other side of the world from here, and the likelihood of me getting invited to preach in a mosque, you know, is probably pretty slim, which is what I would have thought as well, by the way, before it happened. And so you might think, well, you know, that's that's fine, but I don't really have to worry about all that, and It'd be easy to just dismiss it as sort of a nice story. and um, Or even sort of, wow, I couldn't do that. On the other hand, it could be, it could be that a story like that could cause some of you to think, you know, if a, a guy as reasonably normal as Kevin in a situation like that would step into something like that, then maybe... Maybe right here in my here and now, my normal life, my every day, I can listen to see what God might push me into right here. How he might want me to to be stretched a bit in my own willingness to push me across a boundary right here. It could be in my family. It could be in my my neighborhood, it could be in my place of work or school, wherever it may be, whoever it may be that the Lord might be pushing me to to share something with, to pray for, to offer, to serve, whatever it might be, it might be that God would challenge you to say, you know, I can I can let him stretch me. And I can let my box that I want to keep God contained in and tame and safe and sort of let him out when I need some comfort or some help, you can break that. And that's what I want to challenge us with today. You know, I've got, uh, I've got this journal with me. I like to keep a journal. I've got journals going all the way back to college days, actually, when I first became a believer, all stretched across one of the shelves in my study. And this one, this particular one I kind of like because it has a little stretchy elastic band on it that I can use to, uh, you know, to keep my my place. But it's funny, an elastic band like that, or a rubber band, I'm guessing it doesn't really like the feeling of being stretched. Just like I don't like the feeling of being stretched. And yet, the funny thing is, when it's being stretched, is when it's actually fulfilling its purpose. If it isn't tight, isn't stretched, It doesn't hold anything. It just sits there loose. It only fulfills its role and purpose when it gets stretched and has to hold on to something. And I think there's a parallel there for us. There's something about following Jesus that really only finds its fulfillment when we're getting a little stretched. So I want to challenge all of us, myself included today, to say, Lord, where do you... Where do you want to stretch me? And I, I might not feel any more comfortable than the rubber band when it's getting pulled on, but 
I'm here. I'm willing. I, I'm, I'll let you do that for me. And maybe the Spirit will show you something specific today. And I also, as I, as I pray in just a moment, will ask the Holy Spirit to show us our God box. The, the boundaries that we want to keep God in, which ultimately is about our own fear. That if God is bigger than my box, bigger than the limits I want to place on Him, then He might do anything. He might say anything. He might ask anything. He might show up anywhere, even when it's not particularly convenient or welcome in my life. So as we close this morning, I would like to pray that just as Peter found his whole worldview shattered along with his God box, and as he found his soul stretched to realize that God was dealing with people that maybe Peter didn't even want him to deal with, that you and I would, would be touched by the Spirit in specific places where he wants to stretch us and shatter our box. Let us pray. Lord, this morning already we have, uh, we have sung worship songs to you in which we talked about our lives being laid down and wanting you to be glorified. We have prayed that your Spirit would, uh, would come and inspire and cleanse our hearts so that we might love you and worship you and serve you more. And you've heard those prayers and those songs. And whether we were even paying attention at the time we sang or prayed, you were listening. We have given you permission, knowingly or unknowingly, to do what you want with us. So we are here, like rubber bands, willing to be stretched, or willing to be willing, Lord. And we are here with our little box that we we think you're inside of and we want it to be broken open so that we could kneel, worship, and adore the God who is as big as what you have revealed yourself to be. Come, Lord, stretch us, shatter our box in Jesus' name.